For those who consistently seek God and the wisdom of heaven, Solomon declares that God will give great gifts to that person, priceless gifts beyond our comprehension. Wisdom says, My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. What a comfort to read such words. Who wouldn't want God's wisdom and common sense and protection? When Solomon asked God for wisdom, God gave him wisdom and wealth. Practically speaking, this is the Christian life. It's a tough life, but is it ever good? Amen. It's a good life. It's a good life if you're a Christian. And I'm going to tell you that for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he is your Savior and your Lord, then you will know the abundant life that Jesus Christ has promised. It's an abundant life, a rich, satisfying life, full of joy, full of peace. If you're not experiencing that in your life right now, then you've got to ask yourself the question, why is that? So this morning, as we're, as we're coming to the end of our study in, in wisdom, Solomon very beautifully explains to his son how he can have the peace of God, the joy of the Lord. We talked about the peace that comes to the wise last week. And if you haven't heard it, I would advise you to go online and listen to that. There's a, there's a, a theme that we often hear at gra- graduation time, graduation speeches, aim high, dream big. Everybody's heard of that? We, we hear it at graduation time. Yeah, almost everybody that gives a speech says something like this. Uh, we hear it in the locker room, aim high, dream big. We uh, even hear it on TV, motivational speakers. They tell us to aim high, dream big. And we even hear it in church now. The pastors will preach, aim high, dream big. We, we see conferences for pastors that want to help pastors aim high and dream big. According to market research, the self-improvement market, because that's really what this is all about, the self-improvement market is worth some $9.9 billion. And by next year, it's, it's supposed to have been, uh, been uh, or growing to an estimated $13.2 billion. It's, it's in a huge amount of money. It's obviously a, a, a massive industry. Self-improvement, in case you don't know what it is, is about consciously identifying an area in your life 
that, that needs to be developed. And it may be more than just one facet of your life. It may be everything about your life. And so we want to we aim at self-improvement. And there's all sorts of, of resources that you can get. There's ebooks, there are books, there are academies and universities. I remember Trump's university, uh, uh, the Trump University, I think it was, so that you could be rich like him. Um, there was, there's online courses, coaching programs, mastermind programs, there's master classes, there's conferences, there's, there's mobile apps. Uh, there's all manner of resources available to you to help you to improve yourself. Well, it was in 1859, a man by the name of Samuel Smiles, he actually wrote the very first self-help book. In fact, the book was entitled Self-Help. And they say that it was uh, the Bible of the mid-Victorian liberals. This was the book that they loved to appeal to. Anybody that wasn't a Christian or wasn't convinced that Christianity had the answers, they, they love this idea that I can help myself, I can improve myself, I can improve my family, I can improve my community, we can even improve the country. In this book, the opening sentence is, heaven helps those who help themselves. And everybody knows that verse, right? Which verse, where do we find that verse in the Bible? Actually, it's a variation on uh, Benjamin Franklin's book called uh, Poor Richard's Almanac, which says God helps those that help themselves. Well, the interesting thing, and we, we see that this is not biblical stuff. It doesn't come out of Scripture. But the problem is, is that there were a number of pastors that latched onto it. And I'll tell you why they latch onto it. Because it's very exciting. This is something that I can do. I can take control of my own destiny. I, I'm the master of my own destiny. Does anybody remember the, when we only had to have one license plate? Often people would have a license plate at the front that God's my co-pilot. Uh, if God is your co-pilot, you're in big trouble. You need to let him be the pilot and, and get your hands away from piloting anything. Is this not biblical? So you get guys like Norman Vincent Peale who, who did a book on positive thinking. He's the one that influenced Robert Shuler. Some of you have heard of Robert Shuler. He had the TV program for many years. He's dead now. But for many years, he had the program called The Hour of Power. And he, again, had this message of self-help, of positive thinking. In fact, here's the, here's the names of some of his books. He, he wrote 30 of them. I'm not going to read to you the whole list of 30 books. But here's what he said. There's uh, a book called Positive Thinking, another one with Move Ahead with Possibility Thinking. There's one called Self-Esteem, The New Reformation. Uh, another one called Self-Love. All these books sound good, don't they? They all sound reasonable. They all sound like they make sense. But the problem is, as good as it all sounds and as appealing it is as it is to our own wisdom, the problem is, is that it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ and it is not the message of Scripture. Did everybody hear that? I'm fond of telling you about that pastor that got angry at me because I wouldn't go to his conference. It was about how to, how to see your dreams come true, some wild name like that. And I said, well, I can't come to that because it's not a biblical idea. And his response was, well, what about where it says that 
The people perish for lack of vision, or without vision, the people perish. Well, first of all, that's not what the verse says. It says that people perish for a lack of revelation of God's word. But many pastors have, have used and abused that passage to make it say what they want it to say. This is what so many people do. This is why we need to have a clear understanding of what the theology of the Scripture is. What does the Bible actually say? Not do we, what do we want it to say? We can't cherry-pick verses out and make it say what we want it to say. And that's often what these teachers and preachers will do. So if aiming high and dreaming big is not what we do as Christians, what do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because Paul tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10. He says, so whether you're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So we're not aiming high and we're not dreaming big. What we're doing, my friends, is we are aiming to do the will of God. Would you say that with me? I am aiming to do the will of God. This was what the Apostle Paul taught, and that is what Jesus taught. This is what the prophets of the Old Testament taught. Any Jew, any Christian understood beyond a shadow of a doubt that the true goal of life is to please God. Everybody get that? That's the true goal of life. If you're a true Christian, if you're a true follower of Christ, if you identify yourself as one of God's people, and by the way, this notion, this idea that all people are God's children is just not a biblical idea. We're talking about God's people. We're talking about people who understand that they are living in surrender to the King of Kings. We are part of his kingdom. Everybody get that? So, the only way to please God is to obey him completely. And by the way, this is what wisdom is. Wisdom is the fear of God. The fear of God is, means that you, in, in reverence to God, are doing his will. Look what, look what, oh, that's not it. And do I have it there? I guess I do not have it there. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please them. So here's the thing. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And this simply means that we do God's will all the time. That's, that's what our desire is. That's what our longing is. It's not so much that we're looking, looking for a vision or a dream from God as much as we're saying, God, what is your will for me today? Did you get that? We're talking about the dailiness of Christian living. Somehow, we have, we have believed the lies of our culture that say that we are the captain of our own ship and that we can take matters into our own hands and we can make, our, make decisions about how we're going to live, where we're going to live, what we're going to do, what we're going to do for a living. Meanwhile, God is clear that we must be in the habit of pleasing him. So open your Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 2. And we, in the video clip we just heard, uh, we had the scripture read, Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 8. These are the verses that we're going to look at this morning. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. And my message this morning is called God's Gifts for the Wise. 
God's gifts for the wise. How many know that God gives gifts to the wise? Before we talk about what those gifts are, let me just remind you that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. We'll look at that more in just a second. So then let's look at these gifts. And uh, here it is. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. Now you notice I'm looking at the second half of this passage. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. You'll notice the letters in yellow are the actual gifts. Common sense, a shield, a guard, and a protection. I'm going I'm to talk more about that in a moment. But first of all, I want us to look at those underlined words. These are adjectives that describe wise people. Honest, integrity, just, and faithful. Again, let me remind you of who the wise are. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and discipline. If you're a fool today, it's not that you have a low IQ. It's that you have rejected God. You have chosen to disobey God. That's what it is. That's what a fool is. A fool despises wisdom and despises the discipline of God. So if you're a wise person today, then you are a person who, in reverence for God, is motivated to do God's will. You have to understand this. If you don't get this, you're not going to get the book of Proverbs. If you don't get this, you're not going to understand what true wisdom is. So we're clear about this. We If we're wise people, then we are people who do God's will. Okay, so let's go back to this to these first or these last two verses of our passage. And let's take a look at these adjectives first. So the first adjective is honest. If you're an honest person, that is one of the marks or the characteristics or traits of a wise person. The word honest in this in this passage is the word upright. And it has with it this idea of being direct. No flattery, no manipulation. What you see is what you get. There's no hidden agenda. There's nothing fake. Now, how many know that, that the world teaches us that we need to do a little bit of flattering, that we need to butter people up a little bit, we need to make them feel good in order to get what we want? This is dishonest. You know, you've heard this, the phrase, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> well, not for a Christian. One of the things that I appreciate so much about, about uh, Janet Chow, one of the very first things I noticed about Janet Chow when I first met her, she's the one responsible for running the operation here, is that she's honest, she's direct, There's no flattery, no manipulation. What you see is what you get. There's no hidden agenda. Everything's on the table. And now let's proceed. But there are people who are duplicitous. They're two-faced. They talk out of both sides of their face. They say one thing to your face and another thing behind your back. The man or the woman who is wise is utterly and totally honest. 
You're not, we're not flattering anybody. We're going to be direct and honest. The next thing we notice is that, that the wise person has integrity. Now, that word integrity, uh, that's the actual word in the Hebrew. It's actually integrity. Means, it gives this idea of being whole, that you're not divided, you're not cracked. You're, you're, you're in good shape. If you are a, uh, an engineer and your job is to inspect buildings or inspect bridges, you're looking at the integrity of the structure to see if there's any cracks. I was always amazed at how often, I used to live in Elmwood, and how often they used to close the Redwood Bridge to fix it. It looked fine to me as a kid. I couldn't see anything wrong with it. But then I'm not, an inte- I'm not an engineer, and I have no way of knowing or telling whether the bridge is actually, actually has the integrity needed to facilitate the passage over the river. Now, what happens if that bridge cracks when you're going over it? I've had nightmares about that, falling into the river. Has anybody ever had that nightmare? I, have had that. I used to have that. That was one of my constant uh, nightmares as a kid. The person of wisdom has integrity. They are whole. They're not cracked. They're not divided. They're, they're, they've got one mind. And immediately, the verses that jump to my mind are James chapter 1, verses 7 to 8, that says, for that person who, who doubts, who doesn't have faith, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So a person of integrity is not double-minded when it comes to the things of God. The wise person has got integrity that stands up under the pressures of life. He doesn't have any doubts. He believes with all his or her heart that God will provide, that God will protect, that God will bring them through. And James says, if you're double-minded, don't, then you can forget it. Don't think you're going to get anything from God because you're, you're unstable in all your ways. Today you're going this way, tomorrow you're going that way, the next day you're, you're exploring this path and that path and the other path. One of the things that I have tried to do as your pastor is to be a, a pastor of integrity so that you know that when Pastor Allen preaches the Word of God, it's not his own agenda, it's the Word of God. Integrity, undivided, full faith. The next thing is is that the wise are just. They walk in paths of justice. They believe that they need to act justly. These are people who are righteous. These are people that that when it comes to the, the law, there's no gray area. They know exactly what God's law is. They know exactly what God expects. And it's not debatable. Bill Hybels wrote a book uh, about, about character. And basically, in the book, he's asking the question, who are you when nobody's looking? How do you behave when nobody's around to see what you're doing, to see what you're looking at? This is, this is what defines good character, that no matter who's looking on, you know that God is looking on, and you are going to behave justly walking in paths of justice for his great namesake. Now, it's, it's ironic that Bill Hybels came out with that book because at the end of his ministry, it came out that 
he was having affairs with multiple women. This is a pastor of a church of, I don't know, 20,000 people in Chicago. Now, I don't say that to condemn him or judge him. But understand this, that the, the wise person has integrity. They're not cracked or divided. They stand up under the pressures, under scrutiny. These are the people that walk justly before God, regardless of who's watching or not. And then finally, the, the last adjective that describes the wise is that they're faithful. In the ESV, it calls them saints, which is perfectly fine translation as well. The idea, my friends, is that wise people belong to God. They're set apart for God's purposes. And by the way, can I just remind everybody here today, if you're a Christian, your life goal is not to pursue your dreams or your vision or your ideas or your wants. Your, your calling is to do God's will, to pursue his will, to aim to please Jesus, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10. That's your aim, because you belong to God. So then you learn to say with the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. When Jesus came to this earth, everybody said, mm, well, this guy looks like the one who could be our next king, the next king of Israel. Can you imagine if he was pursuing his own dreams? He wouldn't have died on a cross. Not the one who could walk on water and, and take five loaves and, and a couple of fishes and feed 5,000 people. This is, this is king material. Can you imagine Jesus could take over the world? Well, listen, this is exactly what Satan tried to tempt Jesus to do before he began his ministry. Just bow down and worship me, Satan said, and then all of this can be yours. The kingdoms of the world will be yours. But Jesus was wise and faithful to do not his will, but the will of God. And so this is why in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to his death, Scott, I don't want to do this. How many know today that doing God's will is not always a comfortable thing? You don't always want to do God's will, and it's not unspiritual to admit it. I mean, I would love to get a church in Florida. Winter's coming. How many know that? God, not, not your will, but my will be done. Please. But this is, this is what the faithful do. This is what the wise do. We're saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. You're not living for your dreams. You're, willing, you're, you're aiming for the will of God. Does everybody get this? Because I'm basically saying this every week. Every week you come to church, I'm hearing this, you're hearing the same thing over and over again. And last week I said, if you do the will of God, that's a sign of wisdom, and therefore you will experience the peace of God. Today, I'm going to tell you what these gifts are. I told you what the marks of the wise are. I've just shared with you the adjectives. And now what I want to do is I want to share with you what these gifts are. So the very first thing we recognize is that there is common sense. Common sense means sound wisdom. And by the way, this is one of the gifts that God gives you. He gives you common sense if you're wise. Common sense means sound wisdom. In Hebrew, I love what it says in Hebrew. It actually says you, you will 
you'll be given reality. God, God secludes or, or takes together wisdom or reality and gives it to you. You have the ability to see what, what often people don't see. How many know that, that most people are living in, in a delusion? We, we want to escape reality. We want to go to Florida, to, to Disney World. We want to hang out with Mickey Mouse for $150 a day. That's what it costs. And for $150 a day, not just for the adults, but for each of the children, there's, no, there's no, nothing, nothing cheap for kids, my friends. What is it all about? It's to escape reality. I go there, and I'm, I'm now living in one of the kingdoms. I'm living in, in Neverland. I'm living in uh, wherever, but it's it, it, anywhere but here. If you, if you are pursuing wisdom, then one of the great gifts that God gives you is this common sense. I love the way Wikipedia describes common sense. Common sense is a sound, practical judgment concerning everyday matters. It's a basic ability to perceive, to understand, and to judge in a manner that is shared by all people, hence the term common. It's common sense, something we all know, something we all understand. Now, some of you may have heard that there is a massive woke movement, W-O-K-E, and, and I'm not going to get into it too much at, the, at this very moment, but the woke movement will tell you things like this. Men can have babies. How many know that men can have babies? Yeah, men can have babies. Uh, I, I wanted to check to see what the present number is in terms of how many genders there are. And apparently there are <clears throat> 64 terms for gender. 64. When I was growing up, there were only two, male and female. But now there's 64. And then, of course, the latest thing is everybody should have whatever they want. You can help yourself to whatever. In the States, they're closing down all, all kinds of, of pharmacies because, because people know that they can go into a pharmacy and they can take take whatever they want as long as it's under $1,000. Yeah. And so that's what they're doing. They go in, they get her bag, and they're filling. One lady even had her calculator out to make sure she didn't go over 1000 bucks. $999.99. It's mine. This is, this is the new woke mentality. This is the new way of thinking. This is progressive thinking. Over the the 5,000 years of recorded history, I can tell you this. Only women have babies. Now, just because by the miracle of modern medicine, they 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 can manipulate a man so that he can carry a baby, this is what I'm told anyway, that doesn't mean he has the ability to have babies. Hello? Over the course of the last 5,000 years of recorded history, there's only been male and female. And even if you were a eunuch, unable to reproduce, you were a male eunuch. 
And this idea of you can have whatever you want, here's what the Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians, verses 3, 10 to 12. If you don't work, you don't eat. Hello? Somebody want to tell the socialists that, please? If you don't work, you don't eat. Now, I'm gonna, I'll tell you, this is, this is what Christians believe. Paul says in verse 12, earn the bread you eat. Now, this is common sense. And Solomon tells us this is a gift that God gives to the wise. You're able to make wise decisions. You're able to distinguish between stupid and wise. And, re- and remember, IQ has nothing to do with it. Some of the people, the highest IQs are the, some of the dumbest people I know. Let's go on to the other gift. He is a shield. He goes before you like an invisible force. You're unstoppable. Hey, would you call that a gift? You don't you even stop to think of it like that, have you? But that's exactly what it is. Paul talks about the fourth, the fourth weapon in the arsenal of the armory of God, and it, of course, is the shield of faith. So that what? You can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What are you, what's going on here is that God goes before you. If you're a wise man, if you're a wise woman, you're not going through this life alone. You're all worried, what are, what's people going to do to me? What are people going to say to me? What's, you don't have to worry about anything. If you're living a wise life, first of all, you have common sense, so you make wise decisions. And secondly, God's your shield. He goes before you. He goes before you. He goes through the lines of the enemy. This is, this is the great strategy of Rome. They developed a shield for their men so that when they brought it together, then they were like, it was like a moving, it was like a human tank. They walked right through the enemy lines and then they slaughtered the enemy. Well, the good news, my friends, is that God is going before you just that way. Here's the third great gift that God gives you and me. He guards us. That's what it says. He guards the paths of the just. Back in, uh, in 1914, 1915, pardon me, there was a young man by the name of Jack Dunn. He was standing guard. It was his job that night to stand guard over his platoon. You remember the outbreak of World War I? Well, as he was standing guard, he fell asleep. And someone came along, I'm suspecting a, a senior officer came along, found him asleep while he's supposed to be on guard, guarding all the soldiers who are depending on him to stand guard so that they'll be safe while they sleep. But he was asleep. What good is a guard that sleeps? No good. In fact, not only is it not good, but the law is that if you are found asleep while you're guarding your platoon, you'll be shot, you'll be put to death. Jack Dunn was court-martialed, and his defense was that he had been ill. And it's true, he had been ill. And so the judge decided rather than putting him to death, they would give him 10 years of hard labor for the crime of falling asleep while he's supposed to be on guard. 
Sadly, he was pulled out of jail and sent into the front lines of battle and was killed. I'm going to tell you something. Humans fail. I fail. You fail. So do you and you. Jack Dunn failed. We all deserve what Jack Dunn gets. But there is one who never fails. He is the God of Israel. He is the God of everyone who looks to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so the writer of Psalms says, Psalm 121, verse 4, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This is the one who is guarding your soul and guarding your path. He guards you not because you're perfect or because you never make mistakes or because you never do wrong. No, 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 no. He guards you because you put your faith in him and because you, you want to obey him and do his will all the time in the power of God. He is the one who guards you. You can go to the bank on that. You can trust him 100%. Some of us are terrified of what's going on in the world today, and I have this to say to you. Fear not. The God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Don't be afraid. Are you, here the, are you afraid today? Is anybody here fearful or scared? Don't be afraid. You've got God on your side. Did everybody hear that? You've got God on your side, and you and God are a majority. All the powers of hell are no match for you as long as God's on your side. Let the devil bring on his worst. Bring it on. Let all the forces of hell bring it on. You see, I've got somebody who is guarding me. And more than that, here's the fourth gift. He protects us. Is anybody happy about that? You're just looking at me like, huh? Yeah, I didn't know that. He protects you. I love it, Isaiah 41, verse 10. And this, you know what? We here in Canada, we don't know what it is to be afraid of being put to death. Is anybody following what's happening in Afghanistan right now? Especially the believers. And by the way, uh, the, the money that we raise for the, for the persecuted church uh, we are going to send that to the persecuted believers in Afghanistan. But I'm going to tell you, Israel understood how important it was to have a God who would protect them. Because here they were, a lone little nation, all alone, surrounded by their enemies. And God speaks through, the, Isaiah, through prophet, the prophet Isaiah, and he says this, Isaiah 41.10, Don't be afraid. For I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Somebody say hallelujah this morning. You have nothing to be afraid of. God is protecting you. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Are you with me on this? This is the gift of God to the wise. 
Now, if you are, are choosing to go against the will of God, if you're choosing not to obey God, you don't care about God's will, then these are, gifts are not for you. You can't, you can't lay hold of this verse and claim it as your own. These, these promises are not for you. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. This, these are the gifts of God to the, to the wise. Now, how do I get these gifts? Well, I'm going to quickly get through this. And here's what Solomon says. If you want these gifts, here's what's got to happen. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight. Ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasure. That's what you got to do if you want the wisdom of God. Let me just, in the, in the small amount of time left to me, let me try to help you understand what, what we're talking about here. This instruction, basically, if you will, it sums up for us what a daily walk with God is. Sometimes we call it a quiet time with God, or sometimes we call it what? Devotions. Every time that you and I meet with God, God imparts to us wisdom, and we then in turn experience the harvest of these wonderful gifts from God. So look at this, everybody. Looking at me. This is a call, a reminder to everybody today. If you want to enjoy the common sense of God, if you want to enjoy God as a shield who goes before you and clears the way for you, if you want to know God, God's guarding of your life so that you don't have to worry about going to sleep at night, if you want to know his protection, you have to have a daily walk with God. Listen means that you're going to stop listening to the voices of the world. You're going to stop listening to the philosophies and the ideas of men and women who are not sanctified. Why are you listening to people who are, are not God's people? That's what that's we uh, read the Scripture for. That's why we listen to the voice of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathing, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Stop listening to the voice of this world and start listening to the voice of God. Every time you read your Bible, what's happening is that God is speaking to you. Does, does everybody get that? Every time you read your Bible, God speaks to you. I hear people say, how come I hear people, people talk about God speaking to them? How come God never speaks to me? It's because you don't read your Bible. Read your Bible and God will speak to you. It's that plain and that simple. But you have to do that. And then Solomon says you have to tune your ears. You've got to concentrate, focus, meditate on the word. You've got to see this. That's why Paul says to the Colossians, he says in Colossians 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. 
Folks, this is, what, this is what we began with this morning, telling you about this self-help movement. The basic philosophies and principles of this world are bankrupt. It's not sufficient for what you need. This is why you need to understand the doctrine of Scripture. You need to understand the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. The Scriptures have everything that you need to live a holy and godly life. You don't need anything else. My grandfather, I think in his old age, he maybe read one or two books, not much, but he, he read the Bible every night before going to bed. He said, I generally read one chapter of the Bible every day, and if I don't, there's something wrong with me. This is a man with a grade three education, but he never missed reading the Bible. Smith Wigglesworth couldn't read, couldn't read anything but he taught himself to read the Bible. And for his whole life, that's the only book he ever read in his whole life was the Bible, that's it. You see, we have been listening to the voice of this world and now you can't tell a believer from an unbeliever because we believe and think exactly like the world. And I'm gonna tell you, it's clear that Christians, that God's people, remember we called the faithful the saints? God's people are different. We don't think like the world. We don't act like the world. We're not aiming high and dreaming big. We are aiming to do God's will, period. And then he says, cry out, ask of God. James, James actually echoes those very words. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Do you lack wisdom? Cry out, ask for it, and God will give it to you. And he's not going to find fault in you. He's not going to look at, he look at you and say, ah, oh, Bill, I know what kind of a guy you are. You're not getting any today. Ah, oh, Alan, I don't think so. No, no. God is gracious and gives generously to all without reproach, without finding fault. Cry out. This is another way of saying pray. Pray every day. And then search, seek first the kingdom of God. I'm telling you folks, this seeking first the kingdom of God, so many of you have ever gotten a card from me, you'll know I always put at the bottom, Matthew 6, 33, and I added 34 a couple of years ago. Verse 34, it says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. What are we going to do? We're focusing on one thing. We're focusing on doing the will of God. We're seeking first his kingdom. We're seeking first the will of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. These gifts are yours. These gifts are mine. If we're living and walking in wisdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you, O oh God. Every gift, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God, give us the grace today, we pray, to fear you with all our heart. And of course, that means to do your will. Because we want to be wise. And we want to enjoy these wonderful gifts, common sense, having you as our shield, guarding us and protecting us. God, what lovely gifts, what wonderful gifts, the best gifts that could ever come to us. Forgive us, we pray, for being so carnally minded. 
we think that good gifts are, consist of things or money, but the good gifts of God are common sense. The good gifts of God are, are you, Lord, who is our shield, our protection, our guard? Father, we commit ourselves to you now, asking that you give us the grace and give us, yes, the wisdom. We need this wisdom to live a life that is full of wisdom. And we thank you, Father, that according to your word, you will give generously to all without finding fault. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. Go with God. Enjoy the gifts.